Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. All right, baseball for the next 15, 20 minutes. Uh, one of the best in the business talking it. He does so on his unfiltered podcast, which you can get absolutely anywhere you get your better podcasts. Mr. Casey Stern joins me to talk MLB. Casey Stern, how you be? Jody Mack, how are you, sir? How are you, buddy? Very good. Thank you for hopping aboard with us. It's good to hear your voice. Always a uh, pleasure, sir. Always a pleasure. It's my pleasure after the interview is over and done with because you've enlightened my audience, and I thank you for that. I, no pressure. Uh, let, let, let's start at the top and work our way down. Who is going to big, bring a bigger package in return? And this is assuming both are traded, whereas one might be traded and the other not, or neither is traded. But if both get dealt, Juan Soto or Shohei Otani, which will garner the bigger package in return? Well, I think if you're asking me if both were to get dealt, because I, if I had to guesstimate now, I would say you're probably right about 50-50 of Soto getting dealt between now and the deadline. He's not going to play opening day next year, obviously, Joe, for the Nats, but the question is whether or not the leverage with the Nationals will be enough for them to be able to get the deal they want or if they play this into the offseason. I don't think Otani gets moved. I don't. So, you know, if we're saying who would if they were traded, I still would say Soto because this all comes down to length of contract that's remaining. And the fact that even though Otani does – look, I mean, he's really one of one. We're talking about a unicorn. Aaron Judge is having an MVP year, but you can make a case that Otani should shut down the MVP race every year he's playing, right, because of what he does. But the extra year of control for Juan Soto and the fact that you have a guy who in that last year be 25 years old, it's just something unheard of, I think, for anybody to kind of be able to look at. And I think with Otani, the fact that you've got a year less of control, the fact that, look, we, we don't know necessarily how much the pitching arm is going to hold up for how long you could do this, right? Because we're talking about somebody who's pulling this off to the length of nobody doing it before in the past anyway. I, I think Juan Soto would end up garnering a little bit more, but I, I don't think Otani will get traded. I really don't. I'd be hard-pressed to believe it. I, I would be shocked. You and I have seen it all, but I would be hard-pressed to believe Otani gets moved. Why do you think that the Angels even let it be known, whether direct leak or uh, specifically done for a reason? Why do you think they even decided to entertain offers and, and bring yeah. it up? Because they could have just said, yeah, we're not trading. He's, he's a unicorn, like Casey Stern said. We're not trading a unicorn. What are you, nuts? No, they've actually said they would at least entertain offers. Why do you think the Angels went there? No, Joe, it's a good question, especially because with the Mike Trout injury, with the back situation that he has, and the fact that that's a tenuous scenario right now anyway, this might be the only thing you have to hold on to with your franchise, right? So I'm very surprised that that's the case in general. I think this is what more likely happened. I always say this to people. When you think about moving from a home, and it's, it's something that's as bad as any of us have ever gone through, the last thing when you unpack that last box, and you say, honey, thank God we're done, that you ever would think of doing is moving again in your life. 
But if, Jody, somebody called you up an hour later and offered you twice what you just got for the house, right, and paid for, honey, start backing the boxes out of the garage, we're gone. <laughs> that's listening to an offer. To right. me, that's all that happened here. But think about how simple this is. A guy who's covering the game, anybody in the business, goes and talks to a GM, right, and contacts them and says, or any of the agents for the player, and says, you know, hey, look, have you gotten any phone calls? Yeah, we fielded some calls. We got some calls. Of course you got calls. But then they go ahead and they tell the writer, okay, we got calls. All he has to do is tell the truth. Yep, they're fielding calls on Otani. And then you and I are saying, how could they leak it? And really, they just told the truth. But who wouldn't field calls for a trade on Otani? Mm, okay, that makes a lot of sense. Then why are the Nationals taking calls on Soto? Well, that's a different scenario. And that comes down to the ownership. All right, two things are at play here. One, you've got a $440 million contract that was turned down. And in this case, I think you're dead on with how it was leaked. And this is of no shock. Bryce Harper, of course, dear and dear now to Philly with you. Here's a guy who got what I call the hotel bill deal. They offered him $300 million. But, you know, when you leave a hotel and you already probably paid the bill, but you walk out with your bags and there's just this random bill that's there. Well, that's how they offered him that $300 million contract. There was no way he could accept it with the way they offered it with deferred money. And they tried to make themselves look better by at least saying, hey, we tried with Bryce. They tried to do the same thing with Soto. They wanted you to know, did the learners, that we offered him $440 million, which, by the way, is a heck of a lot of money, right, over that three years. So it makes the Nationals, when they have a new ownership coming in, when they have a, a Juan Soto with a Scott Boris, mind you, right, who are turning the money down, and he's going to make half a billion dollars, they now can say to you what? Hey, fans, we tried. I mean, we offered him $440 million. He would have been paid more than Mike Trout. He'd be the highest-paid player in the game. What do you want us to do? That was, to me, the organization's saving face and a really bad idea when you've got the combo of a Hall of Fame talent and a Hall of Fame-level you know, agent in terms of Scott Boras, they put themselves in a position that, to me, is unlike the Angels, because I really do believe, honestly, Jody, from what I hear, that the Angels are more listening because that's what you do, and they made the mistake of discussing that openly enough to get it put out there in the media. The Nationals purposely put this out there so that you would know that they did their best financially to try and keep them. All right, so then if you, and I'm, I'm assuming here, and if I misstate, please correct me, you're saying the offer that the, the Nationals made to Soto was borderline insulting? How, how, would, how would you describe 440 over 15? I can't say with, it's with, look. with no deferred after they've deferred every big contract they've ever done over the last here's, however many years. Here's, here's the problem right? The average annual value of that deal, you were looking at where you could get Soto for a $29 million a year salary, right? Or 30 under that, right? This is a player that as much as for you and I, it's nuts. He is worth more than that in this market because his age and because of the fact that right now, when you think about the kind of things he's doing, Right now in the game of baseball with any player that's got, I think it's over, and I saw this the other day, I think Jason Stark had it, it's over 1,200 at-bats. And there were, there were like 200-some-on players that have had that. The list of players that with that many at-bats have walked more than they've struck out is a list entitled Only Juan Soto. That's it, right? That's a pretty special player at 23, 24 years old with the kind of cachet that he carries coming off the home run derby. You know this as well as I do. Baseball's a business and it's not just about what you do on the field. The amount of money he's going to make a franchise, Scott, a lot of times we think, right, oversells his players with some of this stuff. 
it's not an oversell with Soto. Wherever he goes and signs, you're selling a lot of tickets. You are getting a lot of calendars, uh, you know, printed. You are getting a lot of people in the building. You're getting a lot of sponsorship. You're getting a lot of regional money dollars. And that goes beyond what he just does on the field. Not a lot of players can say that. By the way, Otani would be one of the others who's in that category. But Soto's in, you're talking about what, three, four, five players in the league that can honestly say they can make that kind of difference for your business. All right. I just thought it was a fair offer. Was it a mind-bending offer? It was a fair offer. I I agree with you the way you described Harper's offer. That was a save-face offer. But I thought it was a legitimate offer. And, hey, if you want to turn it down, you turn it down. I thought what the Yankees offered Judge this offseason was fair. And he decided to turn it down. And he decided to become uh, the Yankee with the most hope runs in the history of baseball before (laughs) August 1st. Passing right, the likes yeah. of Babe Ruth, right. Roger Maritz, Mickey Mantle, whatever. That? And God bless him for doing it. <laughs> but yeah. uh, I didn't think that it was a uh, safe face offer from the Yankees either. Yeah. So that's very no, but interesting. I think betting on himself has kind of worked out, don't you? <laughs> to this point, I'd say Judge has uh, got a pretty good hand in his hand right now. Yeah, He, he can go all in at this point if he wants yeah. to. Uh, speaking of which, as you said, Otani, you can make an argument for the MVP every year because of the fact that he's different than everybody else and, and serves so many different masters. Um, can we just give Judge the MVP at this oh, point, yeah. or does he oh, have to finish yeah. out the season? Or No. I, I mean, well, yeah, I mean, look, he's got to show up. But, uh, you know, I, I there, this is – and it, it's such a – we don't talk about this kind of thing in sports. I was actually talking about somebody with, about this today – in terms, and I was discussing LeBron in this case, in guys who, because I was watching the Jeter doc, Jody, and we talk about guys who are stars in major markets and are able to succeed through all of the BS without getting into trouble, right, and keep about themselves, you know, near and dear to my heart that I watched a guy in David Wright be that way his whole career. It's amazing that Aaron Judge is still a humble-natured guy and has been able to handle all of this as well as he has and you and I both know there are a lot of guys who grip the bat too tight, as they say, right, or get mouthy and vocal when they don't get the offer they want. The fact that he handled it, even though he turned it down, I thought professionally and humbly and has played as well as he does. I think it's it, – it, you tell me. I think for all of us covering the game, I don't care if you're a Yankee fan, unless you're a Red Sox fan, your respective judge not only as a player – but I think as kind of the moxie of the person has got to have gone up with the way he's handled himself here the last few months. Now, I know we haven't even gotten onto the field yet. We've talked about more contracts and the way guys handle themselves. But I got one more for you. Judge hits the open market. How high is high with him? Because he is 30 years old. It took him a while to get to the big league. So this is his first time for the big deal, his first foray into free agency. But he's already 30 years old. So I don't think he's getting a, a ten-year deal, but how high is high? How many years? How many millions? We talk cool. about. Well, I think everything's about benchmarks, right? So to your point of what's the list of Yankees or anybody who has done this and what he's doing currently, I think first thing we got to figure out: how's the season close out? Right? Do they win the World Series? And is he coming off of that? So this is an example for people who need to be reminded. Now you can call him Melvin, but once B.J. Upton made $75 million for having one good postseason, right? Mm-hmm. Imagine what a postseason from Aaron Judge that vaults this team back to the World Series could do. I think that plays into it. The other part is if you have a Soto situation where he has to sign a long-term deal with wherever he gets traded if he gets moved, is there a new benchmark that's set? 
Right now, are you using the one with Mike Trout? To your point, the age is different. And we're talking about, you know, an outfielder who, okay, now you have the DH available, so certainly it changes things a bit. But it's not, a, you know, a guy like Soto who's still, you know, an athletic player in his low 20s. I don't think it's going to be nearly as long a term, but I do think the AAV has a chance to be higher than any player we've ever seen in the sport. Ooh, that would, uh, you're right, might not be as long a deal, but AAV could be the highest. And how can you deny after the season yeah, right. that he's exactly. had? we got two yeah. more months to set that bar, yeah, and you're and, right, the and, postseason. And, Jody, he's jumping over the fence to make a catch in the first inning today. I mean, what doesn't the guy do, right? <laughs> it's like we don't forget he's not just – no offense to Mark McGuire or whoever, and when it's about a steroid conversation, but this is not like some, you know, big, you know, huge guy who just strolls up to the plate. And this isn't Dan Vogelbach, right? No offense. But, like, we're talking about an athlete at his size who is playing the way he plays defensively, is the face of your franchise wherever he ends up signing next year for sure. He's going to make it. I would, I would be surprised if his average annual value is not the highest we've seen in the sport wherever he goes. One of my favorite Casey Stein, Stern lines ever, prospects are cool, parades are cooler. Uh, right. That's why what happens with Judge will be uh, also adding to that AAV, depending on what happens with the Yankees this year. But I got to tell you, went to Trenton to watch him play eight years ago, whatever it was, when he was in the minor leagues. I watched him hit two monster home runs. Couldn't get on the air fast enough to go, this is the kid's the real deal. Wait till he gets to Yankee Stadium. Sometimes you're just lucky to be there on the right night. But, uh, yeah, I, I did correctly predict this one coming. Casey Stern's here with us on CBS Sports Radio talking baseball. All right, uh, Yankees and Astros are far and away the two best teams in the American League, aren't they? Yes. Is there yes. is there anyone else even in the conversation? No, no, uh, but – However, here's the caveat. However, uh, Seattle certainly did themselves nicely with the Castillo move. And I give them credit for a couple of things. 21 years without a postseason, and it's one thing to do all the talking. And we know Trader Jerry and Jerry DePoto will make moves. But it's one thing to do all the talking about we're going to try and win. It's another to actually put your money, and in this case your prospects, right, to your top three and all of that, where your mouth is. Kudos to them. Castillo makes them better. You think about Ray, you think about Gilbert, that pitching staff. You know, they can do some things, Seattle. I still think they're short of bat, to be honest. I think Soto would have been a really good play there because he and J-Rod, Julio Rodriguez, how do you, how do you think those two would look back-to-back lefty-righty in a year that you're hosting the All-Star game next year, right? You want to talk about vaulting your franchise value. But I, I give Seattle a lot of credit. I, I, I mention them only because, look, the Twins are not a factor. Regardless, they're not going to do much anyway. And we know the Yankees will wipe them off whenever they face them. So it's not going to be an issue. Tampa Bay is always scary because you never know. But you've you got to give Seattle credit that at least they have given themselves a chance to give the Yankees or the Astros in a short series some trouble because they now have the starting pitching and the wipeout strikeout capability of that pitching to at least make things interesting if those guys were to have a week or two of great performances from that pitching staff coming the postseason. Is this the first year I won't have to apologize to Tampa fans since for five or six years running, I've been going, all right, this is the year they can't make it. I know they always win 90 games, but they just don't have the resources other teams do. And they're kind of, I'm sorry that Rossier and Joe Madden and Kevin Cash kept making liars out of me. Is this year I finally get it right when I say Tampa's not making the playoffs? You know, I, I just don't I, – I don't – I think it is. Yeah, I think so. I think unless Toronto 
you know, the Jays, their offense, like their offense should never have a problem. I really don't understand when they didn't score runs. They should have saved some of the ones that they gave against the Red Sox when they beat them by like three touchdowns <laughs> about a week and a half ago. But I, I expect the Jays to be in. And I think, look, Seattle's not a guarantee, but they put themselves, Joe, in a position right now when you think about the Castillo move and also the momentum. And, we, you know, we don't talk about that enough. And it does matter. We've heard guys complain. We had Keiko one year, right, Houston. Uh, Jose Bautista, Toronto, when they didn't make moves, and then the next year they made him, got in. In that room in Seattle, that energy when they got the Castillo deal, just because it shows the ownership isn't thinking, hey, we're not good enough anyway, right? Even though we know that they're not as good as Houston and New York, I think that will help vault them in. So I think you'll be right. This will be the year. It'll end up, it'll end up being, you know, I, I, I believe the Rays will be on the outskirts of town. The question is, is when you look at the wild card scenario in that other mix, who else can play well? I just don't know if I trust any of the other teams. That's the problem. The Chicago White Sox and the Boston Red Sox have to be two of the most frustrating teams. And Tony LaRusso, we could talk for half an hour about by himself. Right. But those two teams, they're not great, but how they are this mediocre to terrible, I really can't understand. I mean, and I like Alex Cora and the job that he's done, at least as a manager, right over the years. It's really hard to understand with the talent that they have had on these two rosters at times this year, how badly both those two teams, the White Sox and Red Sox, have played. What does Jacob deGrom have to be for the Mets to keep the Braves at bay in the NL East? Um, to keep the Braves at bay? I, I, I think they could do that without him. I really? Like, you know, and that's not like disrespectful to the play, the play of this team you know, here where I am now in Atlanta. But I think you're looking at a franchise that right now, regardless of what Seattle with Castillo, and I saw somebody put out there today that they had the best rotation. Let's make no mistake. It, who knows what happens moving forward. But right now the best rotation in the sport is the best. So the last 20 games, they, the franchise, and that franchise has had some pitching, as you and I know, in the 80s. They've never had a 20-game stretch where their ERA has ever been this low. And it's the lowest by far in the majors. And by the way, right now, without – any question, the best reliever in baseball is on that team, That's right? True. So all of that is pretty good to work with when you look at the offense that they even have. And I think the way Marte is hit, because people aren't paying attention, right now you can make a case in the last two months, Sterling Marte has been one of the best three or four hitters in the National League. I think he's hitting 330 over the last month and a half. The only player in the National League that has a better batting average and OBP than him combo in that case is Paul Goldschmidt. So that's how good they're getting their guys to step up at the right time also. But here's where the DeGrom thing factors in. If you have Jacob DeGrom healthy, the Mets are the favorites to win the World Series. And I, I mean that sincerely because they may not be the best team, and they don't have to be. If I have Scherzer DeGrom game one and two, who, who are they not going to be? They may not guarantee to beat anybody, but who are they not going to be favored to beat? Who's beating that team? In a five-game series, don't even show up. I mean, forget it. You have no chance. And in a seven-game series, if DeGrom is healthy, and let's say he starts to get rolling, he's got no innings on his arm all year. I mean, who's facing those guys? You've got five of the seven games where they'd start. You probably could pull at least one or not two times where one comes out of the bullpen. And then I got Taiwan Walker and Carlos Carrasco and Bassett and then McGill coming back and Edwin Diaz. If DeGrom is healthy, the Mets are the favorites to win the World Series, in my opinion. I sincerely mean that. Here's the reason why I can't go there, and uh, you're, you're, you're certainly more in the Mets' uh, uh, corner than I am. Other than Scherzer, and uh, that's why I started the question with what does DeGrom have to be, 
Carrasco, Taiwan Walker, Bassett, put McGill or whoever else you want in there. How do we know what they're going to do in October? We don't. That's a problem. That's an issue. Now, they may all be great, but none of them have any kind of track record, even into September. Uh, Carrasco might have had one good year with the Indians where he pitched well in September, but that's about it. So uh, to this point, yeah, they're the best pitching staff in baseball. The the numbers say it. You can't deny it. But we get to uh, uh, October. Nice Stavichers are leading the the parade. I'll take him with absolutely anybody, but I don't know about anybody else. And the Braves, the Braves just, and the Braves just proved it last year with the guys that they have. Well, you're you're right, but here's the thing, Jody. When you say hold off the Braves, I think can the Mets win the division with this staff? Yes. So to me, that's where I separate the two. Because, okay. and you're right. Look, and Taiwan Walker, who again, I mean, really, you want to talk about where were the rest of the teams when he was signing a two-year, twenty million dollar? Like, how are these teams? How are they paying nine million with the Angels to Julio Tehran and like ten million? Like you think about like we're not talking enough about how smart that was when they got him in the first place, right? It's amazing that they were able to pull that off. But he slowed down down the stretch last year. I think they need to be really careful with him. But I do think their depth is better, so they don't have to rely on those guys as much, especially having a guy like McGill back in there. I think they could win the division without a healthy DeGrom. To your point, I'm with you. I think the separator is, look, if I've got DeGrom there and I'm shortening a series or a game and I've got Scherzer and I've got Edwin Diaz, it's why it is so imperative that they get, I believe, two arms, not just one, but two back-end arms between now and Tuesday, not because they're going to need them to beat the Braves, but because you're going to turn Edwin Diaz into Kenley Jansen when Don Mattingly managed the Dodgers. And go back, Clayton Kershaw, almost every one of those six innings, he was tired. He shouldn't have been in the game. But they had nobody between Kershaw and Jansen. Most of the games, Kenley Blue, Jody, guess what? Were the two innings either in the eighth when he was brought in or trying to do the second inning in the ninth inning. That's what will happen to Edwin Diaz if you get into a scenario where they keep having to tire him out. I think they need to be careful and make sure to shore up that back end of the bullpen. All right. And this, I was just thinking about the upcoming playoffs and the like. How huge is it, and this uh, probably uh, only comes into play for a handful of teams, how huge is it to be the top wildcard team rather than second wildcard team? Because they're going to play each other, and all three teams are going to be in the, the, the top wildcard team building. If it's only like a game or they finish in a tie and the tiebreaker decides it, how huge is that going to be, having to play three games in your house as compared to three games on the road? I, I think it's – okay, here's the thing. I think it's a bigger deal than it's been, right, and not the end of the world. It's somewhere in there. If you're on the side of you're playing on the road, you're going to say, who cares where we're playing? And you're going to mention to me, because I was there, that the greatest pitching – look, we've had great postseason performances, and, you know, I've watched some in my life that I was not at, but watched like you know, the great game between Jack Morris and – John Smoltz, but the greatest right. I've ever watched that I was at is one of the greatest of all time was in Kansas City when Madison Bumgarner could have been anywhere on planet Earth and no one was going to hit him. It didn't matter, right? So if you're on the road, you don't care. But I do think, unlike in the past where it's one game and winning one game on the road okay, it is kind of a thing to end a season, be on a high, you're in the playoffs, and you got three days to feed off of that. If you lose a bad game one, your crowd brings you back in game two. But on the other side, if you lose a bad game one and you're on the road, 
especially if you're a younger team, like let's say Seattle, for example, you might just beat yourselves before you show up at the park the next day because you don't have the home crowd behind you. I think it could be more of a factor than it's been in the past. So again, somewhere between it's not a big deal and it's not, it's not the end of the world. And it means, it means something. I think it definitely does. mean something. You think it means less than I do. All right. And thank you very much for the perfect segue into my last question because I've thrown his name around for the last week and that's Madison Bumgarner. No, he wanted to go to Arizona. No, he's got his farm out there and his horses and everything else, and he thinks of himself as a cowboy. He's having a middling year for the Diamondbacks, and he's a 20-plus million-dollar pitcher. He's got another year to go at $20 million and then a actual reasonable $12 million year at the tail end. So you got him for two more years after this one if you want him. But I get the feeling that he doesn't care anymore. The greatest postseason pitcher in the last 10, 15, 20 years doesn't care if he makes the postseason anymore. He just wants to go out and ride his horses. Do you think there's any chance he's traded and he gets the itch again to show off how good he is in the postseason? I would be surprised if he was because I think there's too much concern at this point in his career about the arm. He's never been a velocity guy. It's not about that, but about the arm in general. And then you could, you know, you could work in with the desire and kind of, you know, at this point in his career, the money and all of that. However, I will tell you and take the other side of it. If he was, and you, I was a betting man, I'll bet on that guy. Yeah. Same here. I'm sorry. Like, you know, I, I understand it's later in his career, but the way you saw him, and some of it is, is complete nonsense with, you know, look, Victor Robles with the home run. But when you go back even a week and a half ago and look how mad he got at that, he's still in there. It reminds me of like when Teen Wolf in that old movie where like if you ask for the wolf, he's coming, Jody. You know, <laughs> so I don't think he gets moved. But you tell me, I w- if, if I saw his name as the opposing pitcher in a postseason, I wouldn't be excited. Uh, it wouldn't matter what the heck he was doing this year or what age he is. So, you know, I, I believe probably he doesn't get traded. But if somehow it worked out where a team could afford it, and that's more of a financial burden, where it wasn't a big deal on their books the next couple of years, and you told me he's a game three starter, let's say, in a postseason, I've, I've booked him to get a win or two in October for sure. I bandied his name around in Philly for the last 10 days, and I said, Dombrowski's got to get one thing done first. That's a face-to-face and be able to look in the guy's eyes and say, oh, yeah, I want to get back to the postseason. I'm ready to move to Philadelphia. If he says that, I want him. If he doesn't, have fun riding your horses, Madison. <laughs> I, I got to be able to see it in his eyes, but if I do, I would have interest. Always interested when we can get you on the show, Mr. Stern. Thank you very much. Good catching up. We'll certainly get you on before the playoffs get here, bud. Appreciate you, Joe. Be well. Talk to you soon. Hey everyone, Boomer Esiason here. The NFL Draft is behind us and your favorite team is now gearing up for week number one. The free Odyssey app puts you right in the middle of the pro football conversation with the biggest sports radio stations from across the country. The local voices who know your team the best, giving you their unfiltered takes on the current state of your squad. It's always football season right here on the free Odyssey app.